Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, the box office continues to soar. We talk Stranger Things spoilers and give our reviews for Thor Love and Thunder. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 221 of Real Blend, a podcast that will always be the love to your thunder, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, oh. I'm Sean O'Connell, the nice. managing editor here at Cinema. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, and on this week's show, the box office continues to soar this summer. We are going to talk Stranger Things spoilers. So hopefully you guys caught up on the last two episodes that dropped most recently, as well as we're going to give our reviews of Thor, Love and Thunder, and they are going to be kind of divided as you but guys not that out. divided i don't think we're that far off i think we're just okay. there's just yeah we're on I think we're a little, on little tease we're but, on two different sides of i would say the same coin right okay well that makes sense i think sean's on a different coin than gabe and i are well i'll explain that because something happened to me as i was sort of going through that but okay. we'll get to that we'll get to that in a little bit um let Got me it. introduce the guys as well too starting with kevin mccarthy of fox 5 in washington dc hello kev how are you sean Gabriel, good to see you guys. And uh, I'm excited to talk about Stranger Things. I think uh, this is probably one of the more cinematic television events that we've had in a long time. So uh, and it just makes me happy that there's so many people talking about Metallica right now. They have the number two song in the entire all of iTunes, Master Puppets. I'm like, that song came out (laughs) like decades ago. I've been listening to that track. I've seen that track live since I was 12 years old. Um, But to see it now, all these kids watching Stranger Things and going, Who's Metallica? And then they find out and go back to that record. Hell yeah. yeah. Also, perfect use of that song. So oh, yeah. good. So good. Perfect use of that song. Uh, and Mr. Jake Hamilton is on vacation. So Gabe Kovach is stepping up into the third seat officially. Hello, Gabe. How are you? I am great. Happy to be here. Good. And, and good. we've all seen everything, which is cool. Like, like yeah. well, all of us have seen Thor and all of us have seen Stranger Things. So um, these are two topics that are like, obviously, like, we're excited to talk about we have a lot to say so a well-informed show this week yeah Uh, hopefully you're watching us on youtube uh if you are thank you for joining us please head down and hit subscribe Uh, a bunch of people checked out the tom hanks interview which was really really great and um we picked up a bunch of subscribers from that we're gonna have a really interesting ones uh coming up interviews coming up uh which we don't want to really tip our hat to just yet uh, until they come together but some major things uh, in the hopper. And of course we are available in all the different places where you get your audio podcast needs met. Don't forget to check out the premium show, which drops every Monday. Uh, If you're a premium subscriber, it costs you $5 a month. You get an ad free version of the show. Uh, You get the extra segment that comes on Mondays where we normally play some type of a game. And this one, this week's game is going to be a really fun one that was uh, handed to us by a fan 
uh, named Donovan, who came up with a, a really interesting game show uh, that we're going to play on Monday. And then, of course, you get a newsletter from me every other Friday. I think I wrote one last week. So I'll get another one to you this week. So check the description for information on where you can sign up for the premium uh, service as well and get more real blend. Also, uh, I want to mention because because uh, Sean mentioned uh, our Tom Hanks interview for Elvis um, uh, with just with the with the massive success of Top Gun. If you haven't heard our interview with Joseph Kaczynski yet, the director of Top Gun yeah. Maverick, obviously Spiderhead and Tron Legacy and so Oblivion, uh, only the brave and underrated movie of his with Josh Brolin and Miles Teller. Um, check it out because there's a lot of cool information in there. Even though people are seeing the movie, not everybody knows how it was made. Not everybody knows that there were those six cameras in the cockpit capturing those those um, those flying sequences. And I think now that people have seen it multiple times, if you haven't checked it out, uh, Kaczynski gives us a bit of a masterclass in filmmaking in terms of aspect ratio changes and IMAX shots and cameras, because the actors were essentially the cinematographers in those moments. So if you haven't checked that one out, go to YouTube or obviously find our show on that. But he was a great guest. He's a big Real Blend fan, too. So. Which is bizarre to me. Yes. Yeah. So, Joe, Joe, if you're listening, hello. Thank you again for coming. Hey, Joe. <laughs> we really appreciate you. Uh, and in a minute, I'm going to talk about the 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 percentage of 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 Top Gun's drop at the box office, which is ridiculous. Huge. Yeah. Uh, because it just means repeat viewing from people uh, who are going back to check it out again and again and again. And I think I think appreciate the fact uh, that they filmed in a way that the big screen makes it you know integral to to the experience of checking out. Um, that story but in the meantime over the july 4th weekend it belonged to minions and uh I, i'm not surprised uh in the fact that it led at number one because it's a family movie and Lightyear didn't necessarily catch on with families so i think a lot of families were looking for a place to escape over the july 4th holiday weekend the minions franchise has a uh, despicable me franchise and the minions franchise has absolutely been enormous for universal but with the rise of Gru doing $125 million in four days, that is that is uh, shocking to me. Shocking. Um, I didn't expect it to do that well. I still felt even with the indications of Doctor Strange and the work and the, and the money that Top Gun has been earning, that there was some trepidation about going back to the theaters. Um, but I'll tell you guys, even yesterday, I took Brendan to go see the Black Phone. And uh, just for fun, while we were like on the app checking for our seats, I poked into the multiplexes that had Elvis and Top Gun uh, and Jurassic and Minions, and they were all full, just full, like no available seats. Yeah. And this is for like the 420 uh, screening on on July 4th, on Monday, July 4th. So um, people are people are going to the movies and, and Minions absolutely proved that. And going into the weekend, I, I read a stat and I, that I couldn't believe um, that the first I don't know if have I told you guys this stat. If if not, I kind of want to see if you can guess it. Uh, or did we do okay. this in the show? We might have. We might have. I don't know. Uh, I don't did know. I ask you guys last week how much money the Despicable, Despicable Me franchise has made before Minions came out? Oh no, 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 no. 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 Oh, no. All, right. all right, this will be this will be a little fun question. All right, so there's four movies prior, right? Despicable Me yeah. one, two, three, and Minions. I want do you to count, give me. Do they count Ready Player One's box office? No, no, <laughs> no. But just those four prior to Minions. Okay, if you wow. had to guess the worldwide right. gross of those oh, four okay. films, wide, just yeah, just up until Minions release, what do you think okay. the Despicable Me franchise has made worldwide? Oh. Those four movies. The fact that I'm you're gonna... framing it this way, I feel like yeah. it's going to be like close to three billion dollars or something. Oh, I was, okay, so I was going to say four billion, yeah, or if not four, four yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm hedging. I'm hedging that like maybe one of those didn't work. 
3.7 billion dollars. <laughs> Think about that for one wow. second. 3.7 billion dollars. Now Good going into them. it, you know, I, I don't um I don't I, I read a story recently. I think it was in Variety. And I don't have TikTok, so I didn't follow this. But did you guys see there was like a trend that happened over the weekend where people were going oh, to see Minions? It's called Gentle Minions, I think it was. What yeah. is it called? You no, know, PJ and his friends did it. Like right. I told you that yeah. like they went to go see the movie unironically. Now right. PJ didn't unironically dress or up. ironically. They kind of went unironically. Oh, well, wow. um, so, so this I do is a trend. This is a big trend. Yes. Yeah. Kids who grew up on minions. Um because remember, they're all essentially like 17, 18 now. That mm-hmm, franchise right. has been around forever. Like that's their animated series for the most right. part. Um, they decided that they were they called themselves the gentle minions instead of instead of gentle men. Yeah. And they showed up in droves dressed in formal wear. And in some cases it was tuxedos. I can't uh, in believe some cases this. it was suits. They had cigars. And they went in groups. Now, that's the kind of in viral groups. buzz. <laughs> in groups. There we go. And, and then there were like, there were images on the news where they were, this is for the YouTube folks, where they were sitting waiting for the movie to begin with their <laughs> fingers tented. Um, so, and they just I never made it knew. So here's a, here's there a, was a, here's a point base. I wanted to make. And this doesn't take anything away from the money that they've made. I, I would guarantee you that any producer on the planet doesn't care if someone's hate watching or ironically watching their movie. If they bought a ticket, they don't care about that. Difference. Right. Um, but I, but I do feel like with, with this number being so large, 125 million, there were a couple points I wanted to ask you. One, I'm curious if that's a perfect storm of there's enough interest for families and younger audiences. And there's this older audience of kids that's now, I would call that watching it ironically. Like they're doing it for a joke. Not that they're making fun of the movie or whatever. I don't necessarily know how they feel about the sure. movie, but they're there for the meme. They're there for the joke. I would think that qualifies as an ironic viewing. Yeah. That, to me, that feels like a perfect storm that obviously Lightyear didn't get. But, um, but, but why, that, that's the question though, because what you just described is fascinating to me because Lightyear also has this capability, right? Because you have well, four, you have four Toy Story movies before it, yeah, and but you the, have generations of people who watched it then that, yeah. and then now have kids. But we're so we're, right. we're on the verge of sort of making the boardroom classic boardroom mistake of people in suits sitting down and saying, "We want to make a viral video." Like that's not a thing that you just generate; it's right. a thing that happens. Well, that's right. what so Sony wanted to do with Morbius. Sony wanted sure. Morbius to become well, a viral reaction. Happening. Whatever, how right. do you say? That's but the sort of thing. Is, think that's the magic of the, the internet and of the moment is that. And I think Sean makes a good point of the the kids who originally, you know, genuinely were watching it and grew up on on the original, you know, couple of these that came out are old enough now that they're gentle minions that they're they're participating right. in in sort of the online culture of it. So it's it's it, I think I, I think that's not something necessarily Lightyear could do because. It's, you know, Toy Story came out. But let me let me ask a question, though. Those Almost kids in suits, ago. those kids in suits who did their viral bit uh-huh. uh, accounted for how much of the hundred twenty five million? I'll tell yeah, you. It's a, I'll tell you why it's a Two lot. million. I'll tell Two you million? why it's a lot. I'll tell you why it's a lot, because TikTok, I don't I don't use TikTok, but I'm telling you right now, imagine like a 15 year old kid seeing a video on TikTok of like kids going yeah. to see it and wanting to create their own sure. video of it. I don't know how much percentage, but I mean, in terms of like going back to the light year discussion, because this, I think this is an interesting discussion because we're looking at two properties here that have 
very healthy box offices, very big movies that were big for a lot of people. Um, Lightyear, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people don't think it connected. You could, you know, Tim Allen not voicing it, uh, the convoluted idea of what the movie was about, because, you know, they they explained the movie right at the beginning of the film. That was the best marketing. Sure. I saw a tweet. I don't remember who it was. Uh, it was in an article that I read. I think it might have been Mike Ryan, who said something along the lines of like, uh, the advertising, the, the beginning of Lightyear was the best advertising the movie had in its entire marketing campaign because it yeah. explained. All they had to I, say. I said this, we, we've covered this before and I said this before right. and I don't know why I'm defending Disney, but I, and they certainly did not sing this high enough and I don't know right. why that is. But when they announced the movie, that title was exactly how they described it. They we, said, this is the movie that they saw. Like when they announced that from the get go, they at least said, this is the movie right. that he saw. Like they, they gave that title card uh, they then, it, right. I agree, right. didn't reinforce that. But it, the it, message was there. I think it just was undercovered. Um, and there's also but, there's an element to the Minions movie real fast that I think some people really find it funny. They're like, great. I think people find the Minions to be funny. And, well, and Steve Carell as Gru is funny. And this one's yeah. a little bit less of a Minions movie, kind of, because this is okay. more of a well, in terms of the like rise of Gru. Right. Because if you it, what's funny is if you look at. The box office. And I, I was researching this because I couldn't believe when I read when I read this franchise that made three point seven billion. I mean, we're talking about in the next couple days, this franchise is going to cost four billion dollars. It's made yeah. two hundred and twenty million worldwide. This one minions, the and rise dude, of group. That's right. not even merchandise. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, forget my about God. Forget about how many points dude. you think Carell has on the back end of this one. Oh, oh especially on a fifth one. <laughs> well, yeah. look, so so it's interesting. If you actually go through the history of these movies, the first one. Again, this is not this is a lot of money, but considering what it jumped to, I think the first one did like 550 worldwide, which okay. is a lot of money. But, but it was a was, brand new animation studio and everything, a brand new property. Right, that's not bad. At right. All. And you're introducing the minions. It's, and then, boom, if you look at the second one, I think it crossed a billion. I mean, we're talking about right. doubling its box office profits. And then a third one did a billion and whatever. So I think I, I but merchandising is fascinating. And I'm 38 years old. I love going to Ocean City, Maryland and playing this basketball game that you shoot the hoops. And then the toy I always grab if I win <laughs> is a minion, is a minion? You grab because a minion. There's, there's a minion named Kevin. Um, and I remember oh, yeah. I'm telling you that they got me and I'm, <laughs> I'm 38 I, years old and I want a minion toy. I do, do want to ask you guys before before we move on um, an element to this. I'm, I'm curious if 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 this will become like a bellwether for holiday weekends through the rest of the year. Given the last couple of years of whether, you know, it's families being apart um, and just being unable to sort of fulfill that tradition that we always sort of hold up on holiday weekends, whether it's Fourth of July weekend or um, uh, Thanksgiving Black Friday weekend or the Christmas season or the holiday season in general, where they tend to sort of push movies out for families to get together and go see movies and that's kind of a oh. tradition do you think that given how big this weekend is and then you know the rise of Gru earns what it earns uh, do you think this might be a bellwether for sort of a surge in the holiday weekend tradition through the end of the year now that people have had a couple years where they, they weren't able to do that yeah I think so and especially like there was a, a stretch where Disney traditional animation cornered um, Thanksgiving holiday because the Frozen films came out at that time. I know Moana came out around Thanksgiving um, and they tended to have something in that slot. Now, Marvel take, took over November for a little while, but there's no reason why they shouldn't have some sort of animated 
film uh, ready to go. Now, some of these original animated features uh, aren't necessarily connecting. And I'm trying to think of a good example of one that's like outside of the box of a sequel, uh, like the bad guys that just came out recently. Right. Like maybe because it was on Peacock or whatever the reason was. Right. But it has all the same uh, qualities that we're talking about. Family entertainment, you know, where there was a lack of it. It just doesn't connect. So I well, don't think it's just the fact that it's animated. It's it's something to do with the Minions franchise. Right. And to Sean's point, Pause of Fury comes out next week. I don't yeah. know anybody. I mean, again, that, I'm sure it'll do fine. Now, Sonic. Okay, let's, Sonic let's, let's go to Sonic. Sonic's a good example, even though it's live action animation. It's still in that marketplace, right? So Sonic just crossed 400 million worldwide while still being on Paramount Plus <laughs> and wow. in theaters. Um wow which is incredible to me. It makes me so happy that people were going to a theater, even though a movie's available on Paramount plus at home after it came out. But in terms of that, that's a really interesting scale to look at because Sonic did 400 million. So where, so minions are probably, I'm going to guess cross a billion. I would imagine just based on the other films, uh, I could be wrong. You know, it just makes you wonder, like you're, it is the minions is the X factor here, and there's no question. Like, like that mm-hmm. is that has become a cultural phenomenon. That is a massive part of pop culture. Minions are a big deal outside of the films. They are they are something that means something to people outside of those movies in general. Just minions are funny and they're and they're cute and they're you know what I mean? There's just something special about them. You know, I want to make yeah. up, bring up a point real fast while we're on box office because I find this really interesting. Is anybody having a better year than Paramount? Oh, geez, they are crushing it with Sonic ta- and Scream and Top Gun. And they had another one in there. Oh, uh, Lost City. Lost City was theirs. Jackass was theirs. Yeah, they've, they've been on fire. Good for them. I, I'm actually really happy for Par- I mean, Universal's crushing, too, obviously. Jurassic World just crossed 800 million. Do you think? OK, this is a good question. Do you think Jurassic World crosses a billion? So here's why I asked that. So right now. Mm. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, is sitting at about 957, I believe. Okay. Um, that probably will not make another $43 million to cross a billion. I don't know. It's on Disney Plus right now. I don't see that happening. But I could be wrong. Um, not with Thor coming. And I would imagine that Disney probably thought they had a billion-dollar film with Doctor Strange. Um, and obviously, I think review-wise, word of mouth... I mean, I know a producer of mine who hasn't been to the movies in two and a half years that's gone to Top Gun three times. I mean, there's a wow. there's a there's something happening with that film that is struck. Well, a there's chord. just something to making a good movie. Like, there's right. something to making a movie that is undeniably right. entertaining. Like, right. It's because just all, thrilling. Yeah. And Top Gun Top Gun is that perfect intersection. Maverick is that perfect intersection of technical Marvel and great story and emotional storytelling. Right. Like at the end of the day, Top Gun is a really solid story outside of the effects and everything. But then you then you bring in this incredible Tom Cruise who wants to make everything practical and bring you into the immersion of the world. Um, that's I mean, so we're looking at that. So strange. I don't think it's going to cross a billion. So minions, I think, will cross a billion. I don't think Jurassic will go to that finish line. It has another 200 million to make. Do you think it can do it? I just don't know what international territories it hasn't opened up yet, in yet, because that is it's the kind of franchise that succeeds no matter oh. where you go. Right. Um, I mean, right now, let me double check this right now. We're OK. I, I don't know. We're at 831. We just opened less. We, OK. All right. We're coming up on a month this Sunday. So we're 831. Do you think it can make another 150 170 million in the next those last few are the hardest to get 
It's hard yeah. to get people because it generally means repeat viewing. You know, those right. uh, those blockbusters lure out their audience members at least the first two weekends because they've been waiting to see it. They're going to go and see it with a crowd. Um, also, that's tough. also this is a really important thing to bring up that I don't think people are talking enough about. So generally speaking, because, Sean, you made a good point just now. Um, these international territories are, you know, the reason Triple X2 was made was because of international box office. Like that sure, movie yeah. didn't even do well domestically. It crushed those movies crushed uh, internationally. There are certain films they just make because they know international audiences are going to crush it. Um, mm-hmm. Look at Top Gun's uh, uh, middle ground between domestic and international. Domestic's 571. Yeah. International's 544. Oh, that's interesting. I, I don't know that I've less. seen. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen a domestic number that large over in an international number for a movie that big. Yeah, I don't think I've seen, at least in at least in a long time. Because, I mean, look at all the like. That's I mean, kind again, of been the story of the last like 20 years, right? The box office story of the last like 20 years. Also, I want to point out. I'm sorry. Right. Just no, increasing a, glo- the global market in general. Well, let me give you a quick example. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, for example. Oh, my God, this is crazy. 804 domestic, a billion 96 international. Good that movie made $1.9 billion. That's insane. <laughs> um, but what's crazy to me is that we are not even a year away, if I'm right. Am I doing the math right? Um, from wondering if the movies were going to come back. Right? Sure. Wasn't it September? Well, and I tenant think when we were talking about like what's going to be the film that drives everybody back. And now we're talking about can this film or that film or this film cross a billion dollars? Yeah. Like that's a that's a fast ramp up. Well, this time last to, year, I believe we were still talking about like, oh, Warner Brothers is sending everything to streaming. Is this going to totally sure. undercut any sort of recovery? Because everyone's just yeah. going to be like, eh, I enjoyed it at home. Why not do that? And now some of these titles are are coming close to a, like it's a it's a resurgence. It's a wave of support. Uh, and I think for, it's going to keep going. Blockbusters. I think I think I, I hope I think, so. But I, but I was talking to my producer about this who went and saw Top Gun three times. He went with all of his friends each time. Mm. Think about what that outing must have been like. You know, he probably went and grabbed sure. dinner. It's a social thing. It's so much fun. You talk about it afterwards. Nothing like it. Well, I'll mention one quick thing, too, and because I, we've mentioned this on the show a little bit that I've upgraded my television system and I've now gotten somewhat used to seeing bigger things um, on at home. Right. Essentially. And just today, before we recorded this episode, I went to go see where the crawdads sing. And I'm not going to give any kind of review or reaction to it. But one thing I do want to say is the location and the scenery of that movie are um, are just as important like of a character. Uh, and I was thrilled that this was a mid-budget drama that I was still seeing on the big screen. It felt like something that would automatically go to streaming nowadays. But Sony is putting it um, exclusively in theaters. And I'm thrilled that they did. Because it looks gorgeous on the big screen. Uh, and it just, I was like, movies need to be seen this way. This is the way that movies are supposed to be seen. It doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. If the director is shooting it um, specifically for the big screen and making use of their environment uh, and capturing all of this stuff, you have to go see it on the big screen. And it doesn't have to always be a blockbuster. It doesn't have to be a, a visual effects driven tentpole. It could be something as, as simple as this uh, romance slash murder mystery type story uh, that's super engrossing because you're watching it play out uh on the big screen so let's move yep. from that uh to uh some small screen stuff uh in stranger things and so this is a uh, a warning that we're going to get into uh spoilers for the full season four 
Do we want to give um, quick spoiler free around the table before we dip, dive into spoilers? Um, sure. Just so we people know. That. If we're positive. Yeah. I will, so I'll start us off and say, go ahead. I'll just say ahead. I loved it. I Season three, I want to go back and rewatch them. Season three, I really loved. Season two, I remember not enjoying. Season one is, you know, the thing that started it all that we all loved. Um, to me, this was m- the most entertained I've been by Stranger Things. And I've been very entertained by Stranger Things over the years. Um, it felt like the... It doubled down on us being invested in the characters and it continued with sort of what it did with season three of an intro- taking the time to introduce new characters that you fall in love with. Um, and I think the villain and the story as a whole um, is so much more exciting than, than it's ever been. And it's been exciting, but to this feels like a really true villain with clear motivations and, and not just, you know, um, an ambiguous figure or monster or creature or idea that it, they've sort of relied on in the past. And I thought that was a huge imp- improvements the wrong word because those were enjoyable. It's just like a great way for them to step up their game. I felt this what you is think? going to be beautiful. <laughs> I love when he said that that line was amazing. Um, I, I mean, I've loved this series. Uh, season three is still my favorite. I think I just love three because of the mall setting. I just love three so much. Um, I love four, too. I think four, uh, I have just a couple exposition writing issues with some some of the scenes. Um, some of it, like there were just moments where I felt like they could have trimmed a bit. Um, even episode eight, uh, which I think is basically just a recap of one through seven. Like, I don't aside from we'll, we'll jump into spoilers aside from a, a particular character death in episode eight. Uh, that mm-hmm. episode didn't really in terms of like, I don't know. I don't know that it needed to be an hour and a half to justify what it did. But then when you get in episode nine, it's two hours and 20 minutes and it's all amazing. Um, and so I, you know, I was really happy with this season. It's obviously the best production value they've ever had. I mean, sh- camera shots, score performances. Joe Quinn is Eddie is, is incredible. Um, I think is Vecna is incredible. Um, it's just a really, really well-rounded series that really and like it's that classic way of jumping back and forth between four or five different storylines and keeping it entertaining and keeping it interesting and staying on a storyline for a perfect amount of time and then going back. And then but what's interesting about it is when you're watching it, there are certain storylines that I want to stay in more than others. That's exactly um, what I'm going to say in my spoiler free. We'll dive well, let's, into that. Let's let's uh, let's quickly get through Sean's spoiler free, and then we can that way we can open everything up. Yeah, the interesting thing is that ultimately I liked the season a lot. I was very yeah. enjoyed while I watched it, but the structure of it annoyed me um, to the point where on a rewatch, um, there's gonna if, if there's a rewatch, uh, there's going to be huge chunks that I will just want to skip. Yeah, um, because and maybe it's an issue with the episodes being too long. Um, and I'll, well, we can get into, we can get into into uh, spoiler issues. But one of the things that that bothers me about Stranger Things as well too is the amount of time in between seasons. And I don't know if there's any way that they can speed that up. I just think that I think they take a long time to shoot, to write, to sh- to write and to shoot, because by the time you get around to the next season, I I basically have completely forgotten everything that has happened. And it's a show that is it's relevant. Like the mythology is relevant to it, and the, well, because part of the reason is. EJ is now going back to to watch it for the very first time. So he just watched season one. So I sat down and rewatched a lot of stuff from season one with him. And I don't remember any of it. Dude, and I was like that van flip in season one. Oh, it's terrific. Yeah. 
But even just like they they build a um, a baby pool for her in the middle of the middle school and they fill it with salt, which becomes a significant point of season four as well, too. And I was like, oh, gosh, they did all this already. This is really interesting. So um, to get into let's get into spoilers um, now for sure. this reason. And, and I'll point out like specifically. This is so funny to me because one of the storylines that I. I won't say hated, but but that felt like the most detached is one that Kevin said that he loves the most, which is all the time they spent in Russia. Um, so I have a clarifying on that because okay. I loved all that in uh, one through seven. I That was my least favorite part of seven and of eight and nine. Yeah. Okay. If that makes sense. I, I agree that Russia. Russia took too long and, and, and I'll give it credit that that none of it felt completely redundant like none of it felt none of it felt um like they were just wasting time it it, it yeah. felt logical that they would do this and this would yeah. fall through and then they would do that and this guy would and it was all like oh great these are great twists and turns yeah but it just felt like okay but i'm ready for us to not be here anymore like it's like <laughs> we're it, still the, here by the time and, and they, they go back to the prison yes, I'm like, by the, yes. by the time that they get out of the prison <laughs> yeah, and then they exactly. go wait we gotta go back and we gotta fight that thing it's like okay that makes sense but like i would have rather us not do yeah. all this and then figure that out just because i we already left and then came back when we got caught and like it was there just, was a like, lengthy time there was a lengthy time where yuri took a spark plug out and wouldn't yeah. start the plane and i was like are we still doing this <laughs> the, the russia <laughs> the russia bit was 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 really drawn out um especially i, in I agree nine. with that but that said hmm. how that pays off I was, I was, I was, well, I was, I was getting, and that's the thing, the way that like I I thought, cause I, the other storyline that I thought played out that, that dragged on for too long, although I was never, I was never like checked out of it was Jonathan and Mike and Will and the, the pizza dude driving (laughs) Argyle, (laughs) Argyle, is that his name? And that's, and that has a good payoff. I was like, it has has a a great payoff. payoff. Yeah. But all the time that we kept checking back in with them, I was like, where are they? Like they detoured up to go talk to that girl that Dustin talks to via yeah. um, satellite. And she was just fun. to check in with her. With she's, the, she's, uh, yes, cheaper exactly. by the dozen household or whatever that they were in. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. fun. But like they're driving up to Nevada or wherever they were going. Like, yeah. And then even with Eleven uh, being back in the facility. Oh, I love all I, that. I like it, but it felt like it could have been four episodes instead of the seven that we got, basically. Well, right? similar to Russia, the whole season felt similar to, to Russia. It felt like, again, it all felt logical and it all paid off well. And it's not like inherently bad. I think we would really dislike it if it was inherently bad. But it's, it's similar not. to Russia. The lab stuff was like she hot. She hit a wall and then she was like, I'm ready to go. And they kept saying, oh, it's your choice, but it's not. And oh, it's your choice, but it's not and like it paid off and the Papa stuff I think ended up really great. And I felt yeah. his whole, his whole arc across the series and sort of the revelation about her as a young kid and their relationship and, and what happened with, with number one, like all of that is completely justified that they told that story, but it, similar to Russia, it felt like they double started it. But um, as we were, as we were jumping between storylines and I think we can all agree, there are ones you just, start to favorite and like more. And I loved spending time with Eddie. I love spending time with, uh, yeah. with, you know, all Terrific. those characters that who were in I the think, upside down, who they were smart enough. I think I've, we'd have to count. I think they were smart enough that they got the most screen time. Like, I think they understood that Russia and Argyle and his boys were 
were sort of species plots that were which is that weird were, that were waiting because, to come to a head. I think they just had Finn, too many characters. They yeah, just had too Finn, many characters. But, but Finn Wolfhard, Mike is a and Mike and Will are like massive, massive characters in that show. I'm surprised they got relegated they got to sidelines. The B line. I, yeah. I think that it. I think that it's. I think that it helped make this season feel more fresh than we maybe realized. Yeah. I think that if everyone was together, I think that if every scene had to have Mike react and and Will react, like like if all these characters were doing what the sort of main conflict is, the A plot is, I think we would have gotten really exhausted with that many characters with the addition of the new characters that we love. Um, all right, so I, I think I'll, they I'll did it smart, but it just it's inevitable that it was it felt a little long on the tooth. I'll throw one out there as well too. I think they should have committed to killing Max. I think Max should have died. Um, I was pretty upset. I was pretty upset that she died, though. I will say it's okay to be upset, though. It's okay. I think that's all right. I I I understand. Here's my thought, though. Here's what I actually thought in the moment when when you're given a few moments to think that she's dead. I was upset in the sense that I was like, I don't need every show to be Game of Thrones. I don't need... I like these characters. This world is so much fun. It's mm. genuinely creepy and it pulls all of these references that tickle my nostalgia mm-hmm. realm of my brain. Like it's okay if we have some stories where like the heroes win right. and that feel and, and they're in danger, but like we can live through that. Like I, I had that genuine where I was like, she's so great. And like we, her brother dying was dark enough. Mm-hmm. And and well yeah. deserved and, and a great payoff and 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 that, that actor's great and that was great. Her dying it's for me, I, I was really upset of, of like I don't need this show to be that. That was for me. Yeah, for me. Uh, so a few things. Well, Dacre Montgomery, I want to bring him up because you, Dacre, yeah. um, who plays her brother Billy? Um, it's One interesting of my because favorite it, characters on the show. He's so good. This so is why. Good. This is why I say season three is the best season. Um, I'll tell you why. So. Like I love season one. Season one was it, it was it was lightning in a bottle. It was a game yeah. changer. It was incredible. Season two, I don't really remember as much. I remember saying I remember not fine. liking it. But when three hit, three was like when they upped their production. In my opinion, mm-hmm. the mall stuff was unbelievable. It was what I think it was ten episodes. I don't remember the exact length, but it was. Uh, it was a a beginning and ending of a story. It didn't have any fat on it. I thought every single storyline was interesting. And mm-hmm. Dacre Montgomery, who plays Billy and the Max storyline, like like those new characters were so awesome and so interesting. And so even like Dacre at the pool, like when he would yeah. turn into like the oh, yeah, it was, yeah. it, and now that we know what was really going on, it's just fascinating. The weird, but, the we- like weird, but like you understood it was, with like the moms right. or whatever that were all so like, strange. Yeah, because <laughs> he was hitting on he was hitting on like Mike's mom, right? Yeah, yeah, Mike and, and Nancy's or mom, Finn Wolfhard, and um, but going back to like like the the Duffer brothers are operating at an incredible level of storytelling, and you're juggling millions and millions of dollars, incredible production brilliant camera work i mean there yeah. are wonders in in season four that were astounding to me and, and sean yeah. sean mentioned this before i saw seven and eight um or is it eight and nine How eight and nine episodes? eight and eight nine sorry nine. eight and nine um which they direct they directed both of them right yep Sean mentioned this before I could see him. He was like, man, they really know how to direct. And so I oh, think yeah. I, I think I was a little bit paying more attention to the direction than I maybe would have. And God damn, are you right? They were dude. Their shot selection, the way like those are the, just such good episodes. It's no just like, different when they are in charge. I love and, Stranger Things, but I'm yeah. I can't wait to see what they do next. 
Yeah. I'm telling you. And like that, it's funny. And, and I go back to the, I did an interview with the Duffers for season three. And I remember sitting down with them. And this was, a, this was kind of a shocking thing to learn because these guys, you know, going into that interview, I had seen season three and I'm like, damn, man, these guys season one. And then obviously Sean Levy directs every third and fourth episode of yeah. stranger things. If you want to know why you can go to our interview with Sean for um, free guy, he explains it. Um, but they bring Sean on for every third and fourth episode of every season. Um, and obviously he, you know, was there at the beginning of the series, but I remember um, that same day I interviewed the Duffers. I sent this to you guys so you guys know. I'll just explain to the audience. But I interviewed the Russos that day for the Endgame re-release. Um, and I happened to be in L.A. for Stranger Things. And they were doing a satellite. And I was like, hey, can I just come over to where they're doing their satellite and talk to them in person? They're like, sure, sure. So I get there and I'm like, I, I pull my camera like, hey, I'm talking to the Duffer brothers today since you guys are both brothers. Haha. <laughs> I was like, can I like can I, um, you know, get you, get a question for you guys? So. I get this question and the, 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 the Russos are basically like, you know, we, you know, we'd love to work with you guys. I know you guys are busy with stranger things. Let's, let's get together in 2025. And I play the video for the Duffers and they like freak out. But then their answer was interesting to me because they basically said in their answer, I don't want to take them out of context. Or I'll paraphrase them is that we don't really know what we're doing in terms of these big spectacle action, uh, practical sequences, the camera work. We basically go to the Duffer, uh, to the Russos sometimes and say, Hey, how do you, work these shots out how do you do these things on the level i mean you're talking about infinity war and endgame like and those movies are i mean again i'm not comparing size but they're probably as big of a production and big of a deal to shoot as uh, these these as these episodes of stranger things that we're seeing they're massive massive productions um and these guys the duffers seemed like they were just two guys who loved telling stories that had to kind of learn the technical side of it. And then right. so, um, and, uh, and again, I'm, I don't want to take them out of context and you can find the clip online, but when you walk into season four and to Gabe's point, man, there are shots and practical when she, when she downs the helicopter. Yeah, dude, <laughs> that was I guarantee you that oh was God. a real explosion. Guarantee yeah, that was yeah, a real explosion. Like it looked like and it. And yeah. did, did you notice in the shot? I like that shot because I'm glad you brought that up. So there's two shots of that moment uh, right. where Eleven is um, standing there and the helicopter goes down. The first shot looks like she's a lot closer because it's the, on a telephoto. The, yeah, right. Telephoto. So like and then they cut out to this awesome wide shot. And you go, oh, and I thought to myself, OK, Millie Bobby Brown was fine because she was far away <laughs> from yeah. that shot. I'm sure um, they didn't endanger but, Millie Bobby Brown. I know, but it looked so close. Um, yeah, no, but, it does. It's a great shot. I think the truck, I think the van flip in season one was practical. These guys have been doing practical effects well, ever since was, season that one. That was a part of sort of like the the the. The making of the show, the, the, fe- yeah, the texture yeah. of the show was we are we are tapping into the 80s nostalgia. We are tapping into Stephen King. We are tapping into all these yeah. things. And the only way that that works and that doesn't feel like a cheap ripoff. Do it for real. Is if you do it for real. If you do Dude, it look at the with mall. that aesthetic. Because the, the mall in three. I think the reason we they fell in it. love with. Yeah, I think the reason we fell in love with Stranger Things and back to that first season was because it felt like we were watching something out of that era. It didn't feel like we were watching something that was describing that era. Right. And that is why it's gotten as far as it has. You're so right. Because they nailed the atmosphere and the texture that you need. Like the sets that stood out to me the most in season four were the amount of time they spent in the upside down and Vecna's lair, the house and everything. When they would like go in between, like just a a simple shot of like, yeah, it's great climbing it's through really was great. great i do want to call about- out sorry i do want to call out the vecna and the performer uh jamie campbell bauer yeah I practically thought, I, I mentioned this in the in the uh which they they put together a i think maybe it's with like vanity fair or something 
they put together a behind the scenes look at the prosthetics and the makeup uh, across all of it. And there's a section that's specifically on putting together his seven hours costume. Amazing. amazing. He was a phenomenal performance. And I thought that creature uh, was awesome. And and, did it remind you of a Del Toro creature? Kind of reminded me of a character from Pan's Labyrinth. It's it's very to me. It felt like it pulled its inspiration from Creature from the Black Lagoon, which of course put me in the mindset of Del Toro and Shape of Water. In a sense, you know what? The team that worked on it is the team that built um, uh, the Night King from Game of Thrones. Oh, really? So they the Duffers reached out to that team and said, "We want our own iconic villain." Cool. And like this type of like, we love that the Night King is kind of this menacing creature, um, but he feels very powerful and human. And and so they basically reached out to the team and said, we just want you to make that for us. Here's our it's concept. It's going to sound art. really strange, but there were multiple times when Vecna was getting a really up close facial shot where he reminded me of Mike Myers' cat in the hat. <laughs> okay. And I don't know All why right. it was just Is like, the, like the eyes. It's the nose. He had some, it's the nose for sure. And he had some lines coming out of the nose. That <laughs> I never like got that. Whiskers. I, I got never got that. It's a little strange. Very important to note, that's basically so when I interviewed Jimmy Campbell Bauer, I, I, I assumed that they were just adding effects to his voice. That's pretty much what he sounds like. I mean, they obviously add a bass growling aspect to it. But like if you go on Jamie's Instagram, he has a, a, a video where he's recording the line about about becoming the predator or whatever he says, whatever the line is, but he can becoming the predator. I was always meant to be. Um, and it, you can actually see him relax his throat as he's about to deliver the predator line. Like he like interesting. It's wild. Almost like he's like swallowing air or something. And then you look at the video. He sounds just like Vecna before the effects are added to the sure. voice. That's and so. like it's unbelievable. And shout out to him, by the way, if you have and obviously Sweeney Todd was the first movie he ever made. Um, and he was phenomenal in Sweeney Todd. Um, the kid has an incredible resume, Twilight films, the Harry Potter films, um, just in terms of like the sheer number of the big scale work he's done. Um, but Vecna is a really, really fascinating character that I just love watching. Um, and I don't and what a payoff think, for the last three seasons. Yeah. Before it. What a payoff. And, and good for I mean, good for him. I'm excited to see what happens. Obviously, we're in a spoiler section, so we're back at Hawkins now. Um, we don't oh, the think the final shot's is, intense. The yeah. final shot, like I want to bring up the final shot because it looks like and, and and I find this to be really interesting, too, because every season of Stranger Things so far of the four have been able to kind of ramp up for whatever the issue is. It feels like five is going to have to hit the ground running with shit oh. about to explode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like season five could be just a is it going to be full to finish like- battle? Yeah, is it going to be like full army of darkness, just things crawling out of the ground and just taking over I, the town? I like, read it a seems... story today that they're. I mean, I don't want to know who to credit. I know um, some of the people who've been interviewing the Duffers have been releasing stories, but I did read that five is going to have no slow aspects. It's just going to start and just be relentless for all the it whole thing. Like it has to. It's going to be was, shorter. Apparently. That was a huge thing for me as we were getting into like the the last two episodes, and as the conflict was coming to a head, and as Vecna was becoming realizing how good of a villain Vecna was for the story. Yeah. I was sitting there going like, there's one, I had to double check. I was like, there's one more season, right? Like there's like, yeah. what are they going to do? This guy, this is such a good culmination of the last three seasons. What the hell are they going to do? And well, then they hit you, thought, they hit you with, with, with the earthquake quote unquote. When, yeah. Um, when, and when I the thought cracks that was brilliant. 
coming through the town, I really thought that was going to unleash bat creatures into. I assume that's coming. I I think I think that so he is in control of the upside down is sort of what we understand is that he his journey through, you know, walking through is he 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 took control of the mind flare, as they called it. And he has control of 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 that dimension. And they said he's weak, but he's alive. And so I think that they have there's this downtime right now and that's why there's not a flood of creatures but he's probably rebuilding his power and then will now that he has the 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 open portals will basically like unleash an assault in season five wow. two people i really want to just focus on real fast um i don't and, and gabe can you help me with this the gentleman the sure. actor who plays the character who's trying to kill eddie um uh who, whose girlfriend dies oh, at the beginning the, uh, uh, uh jason basketball star mason yeah. dies the guy's okay. dead. I, yeah I, I didn't love amazing that. he's good i didn't love that storyline though that felt oh like see i did i thought he, I he scared me point. he scared like, me it's good it's not that it's bad but it got to about the like it's only in the last couple episodes but when they kept showing up and kind of just being a wrench i was like sure oh, right like, would do like I was like, like right, Caleb I, scene. I, I, I don't need a wrench right now. Yeah, oh, where it's he fights good. him. It's good. Yeah. That's, a, that's a rough fight. It's a rough fight, uh, and it's and it's good. But I just got kind of over the like. Yeah, sure. Right, this guy's crazy, I, I and he's upset. It just kept, it kept coming sh- back at the opportune time to sort of mess up the story, and I I got tired of it. But I especially his good. performance. That's yeah, all. I mean, in terms of like character, I'm just talking about the performance. And then obviously Joe Quinn as Eddie, but also. Yeah. um Caleb McLaughlin, who plays Lucas, um, who's in that fight scene with at the end getting yeah. beat up. Um, How brutal was it, by the way, when the when the uh, dimensional portal tears through him? Oh, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, OK, he, he's that dead. Was, okay. That was sick. <laughs> Caleb was McLaughlin is a great actor. Um, yeah. Sadie yeah. Sink, obviously, who plays Max. Um, he was brilliant but, this year. But I, guys, guys, I had this moment and I, I, you hear stories about this all the time. And then you realize when it happens, you understand it. And you like this happened to me when I when I was watching the first seven episodes of the series, the moment Joe Quinn took to screen and they were doing those Hellfire Club moments. And uh, um, Priya Ferguson walks in as Erica and talks down to him, which I love that moment. He starts he cracks that smile. He became an instant classic character to me and i felt like i was watching I, was, I felt like i was in that mindset where you hear a director sometimes talk about the moment they see an actor come in for an audition and they go oh that guy has it mm-hmm. and i don't know that i can recollect a couple of moments where a new actor has come into my atmosphere or whatever and i've and i've gone damn like that guy knows how to act to the camera to make me immersed in this world i loved every scene he was in and mm-hmm. i thought he was like it was a magnet like i loved that character and rightfully so because i'm a metalhead and then as the as the show progresses and you see iron maiden mentioned and uh, metallica obviously with master of puppets um I, I there was something about that character's introduction that i knew i was gonna like love this dude i knew i was gonna want to see more of him on screen and i realized like man like you really you, I mean, that's like a big deal. That that's a star-making performance. That is a performance that can change your life if you yeah. do it well. And I think I can't wait to see what he does next because he's so different in person from the interviews that I've seen with him. He sounds nothing like the character. Um, him riffing on Master of Puppets was unbelievable. Um, so and, and even that Kate Bush song, oh, um, yeah. running up yeah. the I, I, and the, the versions I, that they did in the score. Were oh, great. Yeah. what a great! I mean, what a yeah. 
Anyways, again, and the, it also goes yeah. back to the Duffers. It goes back to the Duffers as storytellers. Like they wrote that character. You know, obviously the kid played played it and played it as well as he did. But like, yeah, but he's so good. This world. As we're closing Perfect. out this section, I do I do want to highlight this just because I think we spoilers were sort of inherently talking nitpicking and pulling things and 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 you know criticizing it as it were. Um, in spite of everything that I personally myself have said about like it. this went on too long or you know this felt this uh, whatever those small things are. I will rewatch that thing in full. No problem. Like I, I loved this season and Game. I need to rewatch three yes. um, because three before was my favorite, but it's it, looking back uh, right now, recency bias. I would put this up there, There's but just, just look so at how tight, look how tight scenes. three is. I don't want to get into three, but, but I'm just saying for me personally, that's how good this was. Despite of all of the, the criticisms that we may it's have terrific. thrown at it, the, the duffers, their ability to craft stories right now is, is we all loved it. And I'm yeah. glad that they're ending it after one more season. Yeah, I don't I want to see perfect. them continuing to to try to milk it for right. you know tell your story. We'll have tell a, we'll a spinoff series, strangest things, and you know it'll be all new characters. <laughs> yeah, can't wait for that to happen. All right, why don't we take a quick break, and then uh, on the other side of this break, we're going to talk Thor, Love and Thunder. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back this week in movies. Everybody is getting out of the way of Marvel Studios who plan to have another behemoth in theaters called Thor Love and Thunder, uh, reuniting Chris Hemsworth with his director Taika Waititi from uh, Thor Ragnarok, but also bringing back Tessa Thompson uh, and Taika himself playing the um, sidekick Korg and returning to the franchise after taking a few movies off. Natalie Portman is back as Jane Foster and in this movie is going to be transitioning into the mighty Thor 
which is a very popular version of Thor from the comics. Uh, we're going to do a spoiler free run around the circle first before we then dive into uh, some specifics uh, for people who are maybe listening to this after getting a chance to run out to the theater and see the film. Um, Kev, let's start with you. Knowing that Ragnarok wasn't necessarily your favorite Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, I would say actively dislikes it. No. Would you put this above Ragnarok? Uh, well, so I actually revisited Ragnarok recently. Um, I, I, I again, I, I as I've said before, I I would give that movie a three out of five. I, I okay. really like the action and, and things like that. But just some of the the comedy just doesn't land for me, though. On the rewatch, um, I forgot about this one really cool moment that I do love in the beginning of Ragnarok when the, when you go into the POV of the hammer. And you're going around yeah. the fight. Yes. Really cool. Like anytime Pretty like awesome. those, like he, that's what, it, you know, in terms of love yeah. and thunder, that's kind of like the action, the way he does action. I, I really like Taika's action. He does um, so much in the beginning. Not that we need to talk about Ragnarok, but I do love Ragnarok. He does so much in the beginning to yeah. subtly show you his bond and relationship and love and attachment to, to, to the, the hammer. hammer. Whether yeah. it's that action scene, Yolmir. whether it's the way he's just kind of tossing it, threatening Loki, like, Right. Brilliant storytelling to not make a big deal out of it until you come back for the second watch and you realize, right. oh, he was tying him to this in a big way. Uh, anyway, and there, I do love that. And there's a moment in Ragnarok which, after I'd saw Love and Thunder that speaks to what Gabe is saying. There's actually a moment where Korg basically says to uh, Thor, your relationship with your hammer is 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 not unlike a relationship with some an ex, a girlfriend yeah. or somebody you loved, uh, right. because then love and Thor and love and thunder, they they bring that whole aspect Concept into the story. Back, yeah. um, but in terms of Ragnarok and love and thunder, I, I again, my biggest problem ends up being the com- comedy, mm-hmm. um, especially in this one where it becomes a little bit more spoofy for me. I, I found it to be a little more mocking of the MCU and like joking. And I get the whole Asgard thing and a tourist attraction. I, I understand that. And I, I think I know why that's funny. Um, but there was just moments where I wanted it to take itself a little more seriously. And I think when you're shifting tone the way Taika does in this movie, it's really a dangerous jump to make if you don't smooth it out. Um, and I think there are times where scenes needed a bit of a transition or maybe a bit of a lesser comedic tone just to transition back into the serious things because the stuff with Christian Bale is not funny at all. It's very, very dark and very, very brutal. Um, the character is really terrifying. Um, outside of the comedy, though, I... Love the action. Thought Hemsworth was great. Thought Bale was great. Thought Portman was amazing. Thought Tessa was amazing. Um, I was all in on the performances, the drama, uh, the action. It was the comedy that just didn't land. Also, listen, I love Guns N' Roses, but a needle drop of Welcome to the Jungle in Paradise City, we've seen it a million times over and over again. And that song, those songs are great, but... It just felt like I'd seen this before. I think the first one I, I want to say Ragnarok was more was more he Led Zeppelin. Immigrant song. Immigrant right? song. Immigrant which, song was, which was great. Another it was one maybe, but, well, immig- but immigrant song I, for sure. Right. But this one, if, and again, I don't I saw this a couple of weeks ago. Every song sounded like a Guns N' Roses track. Unless I'm missing one there were, song. There were a number of them, yeah. But there was it was almost I, I kinda got to a point where he was needle dropping Paradise City and I was just like all right, man, I've seen this before. Um, that being said, I found it entertaining. I like that it was under two hours. 
Um, I thought Russell Crowe was fun, even though that scene is it's so comedic and just it just it's a weird scene in the middle of that film. But I I I liked it. I liked it better than Ragnarok. I found it entertaining. We'll dive into spoilers. Mm-hmm. I just think tonally and I get it if you, uh, you know, maybe I'm not a fan of Taika's humor, but even if I'm not a fan of his humor, there were bits that I laughed at. There were jokes that I thought were funny. Um, but then there were moments where I just kind of cringed for it. I was like, that's not really that funny or it just fell flat. Um, and I just think the uneven tone of it really threw me off. It was really just the needle drops in the comedy. That being said, I gave it a three and a half, um, which is, it it might sound like a better rating than uh, what I'm describing because I love the action. The opening action scene is phenomenal. Like even like a bit where he's doing splits, which is in the trailer, that made me laugh. It's a little, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little, it's a little mocky uh, of, yeah, of the it's MCU, a little, uh, but Jean Claude Van Damme though, which I thought was fun. That made yeah. me laugh. I, I thought of Jean Claude Van Damme immediately, and yeah. and that was cool. Um, and so I, you know, to me, Hemsworth and Portman, Portman's so great in this. I loved her story. They also mentioned Interstellar and Event Horizon, which made me happy. Um, but overall, I think it's a three and a half out of five. It's 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 solid. But I also didn't love Ragnarok. So take my take my uh, thoughts with a grain of salt, you know. So I, I, I'm going to say that I always am going to be the um, MCU apologist on the show. And uh, and I thoroughly enjoy watching virtually any Marvel movie. Uh, I just I enjoy watching those characters I love going to visit those worlds. So whenever I'm watching a Marvel movie, I'm in in general enjoying myself. And so far, I've yet to sit through one where I'm like, this is actively bad. Um, I had a different experience with with Love and Thunder than I did with uh, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness just recently to, to give them comparison in that while I was watching each of them, I was really enjoying them and I was along for the ride and I was noticing things, you know, but but still just sort of uh, of of having a good time as it was all playing out. And in the days following Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, I started to dwell on the things that didn't work. And I thought about, oh, that was kind of oh, why they do that and this. And in the days following Love and Thunder, the more I thought about it, the more I, li- I went in the opposite direction, the more I liked it, the more the more the things that really worked for me worked incredibly well. Um, and so. I ended up going a little bit stronger with it. And I don't I'll tell you guys why when we get into the spoilers. Um, but I'll just say that it was a, a movie that the more I I thought about it, uh, I liked it a lot more. And I want I actually want to rush back out to see it on the big screen. Whereas with Doctor Strange, I legitimately felt like I could just wait till Disney Plus to see that one again, um, because f- f- I'll say this at the very least. For me, the story is stronger. The story is really, really strong yeah. and is a stronger story than the one that was in Ragnarok. Also, yeah. better villain um, too. there's a better villain and a better arc all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really want to kind of go back and 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 see it all play out again. Uh, and then I'll get into some specifics when we get into that part of it. Gabe, where'd you fall? Um, I like the movie, but I do not think it is as good as Ragnarok. And I actually was able to rewatch Ragnarok after um, seeing this one, which was uh, which was illuminating in that I, I the issue I had watching this and was confirmed with a rewatch of Ragnarok is that this unfortunately feels like um, like a traditional Hollywood sequel to Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we sort of talk about like, you know, oh, when when Hollywood sequelizes something, they just take everything from the first one and then they mm. they turn it up a little bit and then they sort of redo it. And and this doesn't completely do that. It's not Ragnarok's story told again, but it is Korg turned up. It's the bit about 
his connection to Mjolnir, uh, Mjolnir turned up. It's 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 all the sort of tone and jokes that come from Ragnarok, right. sort of reused. And for me, that really detracted from the film because Ragnarok felt so fresh, because Ragnarok felt so original. And I would say is probably might be the most original movie in the MCU. Like, I think the MCU is the great thing about the MCU is that it allows these filmmakers to come in and play a genre within the MCU. And that's great. And, you know, it's great that, that the Winter Soldier feels like a spy thriller, but it's still a Marvel movie. And it's, you know, this feels like this, but it's still a Marvel movie. And this, I think, reaches the level of an Endgame and an Infinity War. Ragnarok, sorry, reaches a level of an Infinity Game and a and a uh, Endgame and Infinity War because it's it feels like it couldn't really exist anywhere else than the Marvel universe. Um, and that's why I love that movie. To me, the first twenty or thirty minutes of this is it doesn't go as far as retconning. I wouldn't use the word retconning, but they definitely were not planning on Natalie Portman coming back. Uh, when you rewatch Ragnarok and you see that um, oh, interesting. Valkyrie was kind of set up as a subtle love interest and there's a lot of sexual tension between her and Thor. Um, and that's fine that they don't have, they don't have to f- finish that and, and they're, they make for great friends and that's totally fine. Yeah. But rewatching Ragnarok, they leave that open-ended and then in this, they, they spend the beginning sort of very exposition heavy and very like, we need you to catch up on where Natalie Portman's, character well, is they also focus um, on tessa's tessa's valkyrie's character sexuality too which becomes a, a, a bigger prominent aspect here no, as and well. that's and that's fine yeah. but my point is they did that because they they created a lot of sexual tension between her and thor in in ragnarok and maybe that shifted in like the infinity war and stuff because they do have scenes together I, I don't quite remember if that gets fleshed out a little more gradually but in this it very much feels like they had to fix some things in the beginning of this film because well, during Ragnarok, they were not expecting this to happen. And one, and again, the, the beginning issue. of it, it just go ahead. Why didn't Portman? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sean. I mean, this, this is just a question and train of thought because in Ragnarok, since I rewatched it because to Gabe's point, there's that moment where him and Hiddleston go to the city and someone asks for a photo of Thor and someone says to Thor, the oh, breakup. Jane dumped you. And he goes, oh, she didn't dump me. I, I dumped her, whatever. Um, was there a reason why Portman didn't come back for Ragnarok? And then like, was it like, a, was it like just a redo to bring her back? Cause she's so great in this and I love her in this and I'm glad that she's in this. I just don't know what happened. I think yeah, it's I just, know. she's Natalie Portman. She doesn't have to do, you know, kind of thing. Like she, like, or she a wasn't lot of asked. Marvel, was she asked to come back know. for three? I don't know the story, but, but I think, asked. I think it's clear. It's clear to me in the storytelling of this film that they had to make up some ground. And like, I won't go as far as saying retconning because I think stuff was ambiguous enough that it, it, it could end up this way. Um, but I didn't love the beginning of the film, how much we had to chug through to bring her back into the fold and set up where her, where she's at. Uh, we can get into spoilers where that is. Um, that said, uh, I do like this movie. Like I do enjoy it. Yeah. Kevin mentions the action. Incredible. There's a, there's a moment at the end that I want to mention that I thought was so sick um cool action and i i absolutely enjoyed watching this movie and i will enjoy watching again to maybe put it in terms that sean sort of put it undecided if i'm if i'm excited to rush back to a theater or watch this um at home that's kind of where my excitement is for it but i really enjoyed it and i will rewatch it eventually um because i like taika's humor i just was kind of bogged down for me about that it just felt like a sequel to ragnarok and not another film by taika um the one continuity thing I want to bring up, since you mentioned the beginning of the movie, is the, I think the beginning was probably rewritten a lot 
because of the fact, and I've mentioned this on the show before, like Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was supposed to come out before this. Oh, sure. And when James yeah. Gunn oh, got wow. fired, um, they pushed that all the way back. And Thor would have been a character in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 instead of instead of the Guardians showing up in in his movie kind of thing. They yeah. had to move Thor forward and push that back. And when they left Endgame, they left together in a ship. Right. So Taika now had to deal with the fact that like, oh, I got to resolve yeah. the fact that Thor is with the Guardians. And I think that that might have led into how they put this movie together. Yeah. So, and just, I didn't mind the Guardians. I actually thought the Guardians. I mean, it's funny when they left, I kind of wish they stayed a little bit. I kind of wanted I wouldn't to, have minded. to hang out. Yeah. yeah. I also do want to. Yeah, so let's get into spoilers now where we can start to talk s- specifics. And if you want to, uh, if you haven't yet seen Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, hop forward to our blend game where we're going to play uh, a Christian Bale blend. But before oh, that. But, uh, oh, sorry. Before we do that, I do want to mention two things. Sorry. While we're in spoiler free. Sure. Um, one is uh, tier listing. Jake's not here this week. So next week I will give a quick housekeeping update here. Uh, as long as everything goes to p- according to plan and we're all present, uh, we got to catch up on Obi-Wan tier listing for the, for the star Wars tier list and, uh, and this. So plan on next week for regular listeners who are interested in the tier list. Um, we will, we will tackle that next week uh, to catch us all up. And then did you guys want to quickly give your predictions for the box office? We're recording this on Tuesday, so we don't, we don't know anything about the box office. So, so yes, yeah, so I just looked this up. So I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up here because I think this is interesting. So Thor Ragnarok opened to 122 million, um, back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was it set? Was that 2017? Wow. I thought that was 20, 2019. Okay. So 122 million. I think it's an open less than that. Okay. So what are you saying? I, I know. How much, do you say think, how much do you think grew drops? That's a big, that's a big question. 45. Now, I, think. I think grew could drop 60, 60. Okay. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of audience for that, but I don't know that there's a lot of repeat audience for that. I could be wrong. You know, family, it depends on how much that shakes out as far as how many other kids. And if parents had a blast distracting them for a couple hours, maybe they'll keep taking them back. But I think I, the gentle minions is a, is a flash in the pan viral thing. But I also don't think Thor hits the younger, younger audience. That makes sense. And, and I feel like Taika's movies are pretty kind of adult. I would argue in terms of just like jokes and content. And, and I don't know, I find like a movie like, like Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, those are heavy films, but I could see kids going. Do you think kids are going to get the jokes in, in Love and Thunder and, and, and Ragnarok? So. Okay. I think I don't, I'm, not trying, to, I think I'm not trying to downplay well. children. I, I just feel like these movies seem a little more older skewing. I don't, I don't think there's why. anything in Ragnarok that has parents worried about this one. Not like, worried. I don't, I, just but like I think, content. But I, think that's all that, but I think that's all that it would be. Like, I think it would have to be parents stepping in and being like, oh, I don't know. And I, oh, I don't no, no, think... I, I want to clarify. I'm not talking about parents like not letting their kids see it. I'm talking about like I feel like the Thor. These last two Thor movies have been. Well, what age they, do you they, mean then? You mean like, like, yeah, I, like I would say like like I would say like late teenagers early and forward. I, I can't. Oh. Can you see like a seven or eight year old wanting to see Love and Thunder? I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. It just feels a I little bit so. more older skewing. I think they would want to go see it just for the colorful action yeah. okay. bits. Okay. That they and know I think Thor it. is a cloud is a crowd favorite. Is and not though? that I'm is using Thor a big. Oh, okay. Well, this yeah. is why this is why I, I'm gonna go. Okay. 
I, so I just looked in Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange opened to 187 million. Oh, then never mind. Then you're then you're <laughs> then, 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 Doctor right, Strange you know opened to take all that from the record. 87 million. So you, because, you think what uh, do you think this will hit break 150? Whoa, wait, I'm was saying, 180 domestic? Are you I, sure that, on that? There's no I'm looking way. At. Hold on a second. That's, that's what I'm looking at. Continue your 90 point, million, 57 million, and then 38 million on Sunday. Double oh check. God, I'm putting okay. Thor: Love and Thunder at 200. I think Thor: okay. Love and Thunder makes 200. All right, you know what? I because I think I think right. Thor. I think Gabe's right. I think I think Thor is a fan favorite. And Kev, because you were you were smart to bring up the box office from Ragnarok, but I think what we're what you were overlooking there, to 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 no fault of your own, other than just maybe overlooking it, is that Ragnarok had the um the force awakens sort of thing of needed to oh, get yeah. people back onto Thor because the first Good two point. were so people were not excited about Thor before Ragnarok. Okay. So, well, this is interesting now. I think Ragnarok now, is what bought it a lot of, a lot of eyeballs. I right, take away strange did one eighty seven. Okay. Then I'm wrong. So I'm going to just, <laughs> I want to just delete, not, not delete you can keep it in obviously, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. take, take that away because now, sure. I would actually argue Doctor Strange feels like it skews even older than Thor. Sure. That's a yeah. weird movie. Doctor is. Strange is a 200. So, weird so 200, movie. Uh, Kev, I'm saying 200. Uh, what, what do you want to lock right. in on? We'll, and then we'll get into spoilers. Yeah, Sean, you completely 200. convinced me. My whole older skewing <laughs> argument is... This is why we make a podcast. This is out the window. I mean, if Doctor Strange did 187... Now, the I, I, only... Gru is curious for me, though. I, I just... I, if that's a lot of money that I made... He yeah, has over and and Top Gun has makes another twenty five million. I don't know. Like, I think the I reason think July Fourth was, was the last weekend for Top Gun. Was I the last so. weekend it, for Top Gun to really hold on, and now well, it's going to be Marvel. I think. I think the reason why I was thinking more older skewing for Taika is because I think his other films, like Jojo Rabbit and his non Marvel films, I feel like do have an older audience. Oh sure, um, definitely. But, yeah, but those are all smaller. Like, I, no, I just don't think that the right. general audience even really recognizes those films like Jojo you're Rabbit right. or uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. I think Hunt for the Wilder People is a great movie for kids to see. All right. Um, so people who are listening and hearing me go off on that tangent of less than 122 and yelling at the, at the radio, you were right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Doctor Strange is in 187. There, there's there's the argument. Do you, want, uh, do I mean, you OK, here, I'll, we'll, we'll do this. Do you think it breaks 200 or do you want to go over under Sean's 200? OK. I am going to give Sean a I'll give Sean a five million dollar buffer on either side. I don't know why we're making this. So. <laughs> I'm going to play it safe here. And here's why I'm going to okay, go okay. lower than 187. And I'll give you okay. my reasoning. That's a very specific number. <laughs> right. No, that's well, Dr. Strange's number. That's oh, Dr. OK. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That makes more sense. I was like, okay. where did you get 187? So Dr. Strange did 187 domestically opening weekend. Yeah. That came off the heels of a one point nine billion dollar No Way Home where Dr. Strange was a leading sure. character. OK, sure. so. That was also the following the events of No Way Home. Yep. It had it. So that's I hope kind the of audio like, listeners are picturing you in like the Doctor Strange thing where he's like searching time yeah. in his mind. And he's you're like, you're putting million. the puzzle. You're putting the puzzle together. <laughs> yeah. OK, here's why I'm going to go less than strange, though, even though it doesn't make sense, because to my argument, get I would to, argue get, strange. Get to your point. Get to your point. These kids would hear spoilers. But yes, I'm going to I'm going to go one seventy. Okay. Okay. And the reason why I'm gonna, gonna is that I believe that we are approaching, and if not already, in Marvel fatigue. Okay. Um, I think that we just had Doctor Strange. It made a almost a billion dollars. It came off the heels of No Way Home. Miss Thor, Marvel's on TV. Right. Marvel's on TV. Ragnarok opened to 122. 
This one doesn't have Ragnarok had a 95% Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that means anything, but it does in terms of marketing. This has apparently a 73. Again, doesn't mean anything, but you never know. Um, I don't think it means anything for what audiences are going to spend their money Fe- on. Yeah. Female I, Thor, female oh, Thor sorry. is going to drive the audience. I, I'm going to go 170. You're at 200. Yes, I'm at 200. I, 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 I'm um, at 200, and I think I'm lowballing it, to be honest. Sean's not wrong. Sean, you, you, I was so wrong on this. <laughs> I, I I will play and I think 190. I think it, I think it's shy. I think it's shy of 200. But that I'm only because I have no idea why why Guru made this much money. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna. Honestly, I honestly think it's gonna get to about 225. I think when all no said done, it's gonna get to about 225. Sounds great. But, but I'm if gonna say makes, 200. Man, I I'll be. You know what? Anything could happen. But now I think the trailers me. work, and I think female Thor is going to be a big hit. I think that a lot of people love Ragnarok. Um, You know, I can only use my little small sample size, but the minute the tickets went on sale, PJ and all of his friends bought them for opening night. They did Dr. Strange. Yeah. They bought them for opening night. And with Dr. Strange, they were just like, Oh, we'll figure it out. If your 17 year old son bought, pre-sale tickets then it's going to make a lot of money. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, (laughs) we ready to dive into spoilers. Cause I do want to get, I do want us to get into. Let's let's do spoilers. I, I, part of the reason why I, I ended up really liking this movie more. The more I thought about it was um, specifically for the cast and how good everybody is in the movie. Um, Hemsworth is still doesn't get enough credit for how good he is as Thor. Um, Thor is a character that uh, very easily could not work if the actor didn't figure out uh, how to play him. And I, I thought in love and thunder he got the right balance of comedy uh, and the mythology, the the importance that comes with being the strength of uh, the God of Thunder. And I really feel like it's crazy to say that after all this time, he finally now figured out Thor because there's moments throughout all the other films where he absolutely captures it, uh, whether it be during uh, the first Avengers film. Obviously, of course, he's tremendous in Infinity War. Um, there's been plenty of debate about the way that they handle him in Endgame, but I loved his return in this uh, and, and thought he was terrific. I love Tessa Thompson in it. I loved Natalie Portman and the way that they handled uh, Jane great. Foster coming back. Yeah. But Christian Bale is one of the best villains that we've seen in the MCU. Full stop. His um, opening was so good. I really wish the movie was more like that opening because it felt very it's, poetic. It's funny. I asked Taika about that because if you notice Ragnarok opens on the Marvel logo, no scene. Yeah. This one opens straight up scene then logo because the logo um, would undercut the tone of that i think right and it, that's kind of what really, he's talking about yeah. really because whenever whenever his and we're in spoilers, Endgame when, did the same thing whenever yeah. his daughter dies um i was like oh i was like oh i'm i knew in that moment i was like they're never gonna get me off this guy's side like this right. he's gonna he's gonna have to be redeemed because what because that's how powerful the emotion of that opening scene was yep. yeah and exactly. you're 100 wrong 100 right because like i I, it's an interesting choice because Endgame opened the same way. And it was weird because when when you go to a screening of a movie, like for Thor, for example, you don't get any of the, the trailers and, the, and, the, and right. the AMC stuff. So I'm sitting in the theater and all of a sudden the lights go dark and all of a sudden, boom, I'm in a, I'm, I'm oh, in a scene. I'm I in love a scene. that Hawkeye opening scene. I Every yeah. single time I rewatch Endgame, I love that scene. Dude, when I was at the it's premiere, so when I was at the premiere for Endgame and that Hawkeye scene opened. I thought they started the movie halfway through by mistake. 
oh, because really? at first, because because I wasn't ready for it, because it was like it just opens up on this like quiet house, big, yeah. big farmland or whatever, and then playing around. And then all of a sudden you see the dusting. And that's kind of what Taika does here, essentially, basically, um, yeah. with with the death of uh, of Bale's kid, who, by the way, you guys know who plays that girl right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah, uh, yeah, india yeah. hemsworth that's yeah chris hemsworth oh, she, plays, she, she plays and, well. yeah oddly enough too uh he has twin sons and one mm-hmm. of them plays young thor who's running yeah. through that oh, montage cool. when he's, that was when my he's interview thor. like i he because I, <laughs> I asked him i was like because and also i think his two sons are in the window when they're in the village because he has two son, twin sons one of his kids plays the younger thor running and then his daughter plays Thunder. I love. That's that's so cool. That's yeah. So, so that so the, the last shot of the movie is Hemsworth and his daughter with Ham with with the, with their you know they they jump up, right? And then they go, yeah. that, that's that, yeah. that's pretty cool, man. To have she that was like great too. I didn't know that. Yeah. Was, I love it. She was so good. That's I do Hemsworth's want to highlight yeah. the the children of Asgard. Um, oh God, was, I love was, them. Was was an awesome piece to move the the plot oh, forward. Those kids and were he- awesome. Heimdall's son. I don't know who played yes. Heimdall's son. But I thought he was terrific. And one of the like I had my criticisms while watching the movie where I was like, you know, it's kind of it's a little clunky in that they were trying to get there and then they just start teleporting to the center of the universe. And and, you know, I I had my issues with sort of some of the exposition and and um, feeling like, again, I don't like using the word retcon for this because it didn't feel that abrupt. But the way that they had to sort of repurpose Jane Foster and all this stuff, I, I had all that going. But when he when he gives the kids oh, yeah. the power of Thor, oh yeah, and they have and they fight, and I was like, "This is fucking awesome!" Like, I'm, I'm just watching a video game, and I love it. It was that so scene. cool, and that scene was amazing. Like that, like that, that. That's what we're talking about. Is like it, this is a hard movie to talk about because there are so yeah. much that I like about it. Like I actually yeah. love a lot of it. And, and, and that, to, to yeah. me, that's a thing that's like they've raised the bar for like what Thor's powers can be. Like if yeah. he can infuse his powers into other beings, it's a great moment in this, but like I, now I want to, now I want to see that more often. Like that's awesome. And I want to know what, um, love's powers are going to end up being like, this is someone who's created by eternity essentially. Yeah. And, uh, can be a really interesting character moving Does forward. Does she continue though? Because when I asked, cause I asked I, Hemsworth about his kids being in the movie and he's like, I don't want, I don't want to paraphrase him, but he basically was like, because he, he's the one that offered it up. I was like, I asked him about his kid running on the side of his story. He goes, that's also my daughter playing love. I'm like, what the hell? And so oh, basically wow. he kind of said in the interview, like, I don't want my kids to, you know, I think this is just going to be a one off thing. I don't okay. want them to go off and be like child stars. You know, obviously, like not not telling them they can't be, but he, he just sure. didn't want it to be like a thing like that. I don't I know that he'll, he'll allow her to continue as not, I not that he'll allow her, but yeah. I don't think he's going to. I don't think she will. Could I be. I would maybe chalk that up to uh, the movie's not out yet, and I'm doing an interview. Um, oh, interesting. Because she was fantastic. She like was her, great. Her performance was great, and the yeah. way that they ended of like they end it to where you go, I want to see Thor on these adventures. Like that mm-hmm. if they if they come back and then they're like, oh, and she's somewhere else being raised by like they didn't well, really put it, it in a way where she could just get written off if they're bringing him back, and then then they are. That's the that's what it they does say in the, the credits. Thor will, Thor will return. So. I would be kind of disappointed if she doesn't come back unless she Here's recasts the her then. If he doesn't want his well, kid to do it, gonna say, yeah. If he doesn't want his kid to do it and, and we theoretically might not see a Thor movie for years because of yeah. things that are already planned, you could just have an older 
like a teenage actress. True, true, and true, also true. you, yeah, you basically point. get, you basically, she's, I mean, what she does in this film, it's that's very actually a minim- brilliant. Sorry, that's a brilliant point, Sean. It should just be teenage love. That's yeah, I love that. Good point. <laughs> I ended up doing that. Yeah. Um, I thought the love affair stuff with Stormbreaker and Mjolnir was <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that was funny. Hilarious. Yeah, it was, it was all maybe, right. Maybe was because good. I hadn't seen Ragnarok in a while. They stretched in it a bit, entirety. I didn't remember that being a significant part of of Ragnarok. I didn't remember him and, and the hammer having such a relationship. Huge. Yeah, because um, I just remember the hammer getting broken um, early. Yeah. Like, doesn't Hella break yeah. it pretty early? But he's so. sort of he's sort of uh, uh, he's sort of depressed over it throughout the rest right. of the movie at times. And Korg kind of says that like, you miss him. I, I will say I did love it. I did love that. He the when they're talking about the relationship when he tells uh, Mjolnir protect her and yeah. then that like seals that in the hammer the hammer's like and that and that's what it does I love that that's why she ends up becoming the mighty Thor and all of that <laughs> yep. because because like that was his hammer you know being true to his loyalty to Thor and protecting the thing that he loved like yep. I thought that was beautiful I did yeah like that. I did too I I also like it's funny because like a lot of the comedy I didn't like. But the moments when he would like go up and talk to Stormbreaker about yeah. like, I'm sorry that I'm cheating on you with. with, yeah, uh, with that, so good, I mean, that I mean, it, it's so funny because that's the kind of humor I don't necessarily. I mean, I guess I, it's funny because like I, I mentioned Tyga's humor, but I go back and watch, you know, all the MCU films that I love and the humor in those just hits differently. Like the guardians humor hits differently. The humor in infinity war and like, like the moment in infinity war is infinity war end game where like Hemsworth or uh, Pratt's doing the deepened voice of Hemsworth. Um, that's infinity war. That's funny. Yeah. That, but yeah. like that, like for some reason that works for me. And I don't know if it's a writing thing or Marcus and McFeely or the, or the, the way the, uh, the Russo's direct it. Um, but like, I don't mind that type of humor. It's just, there's, there's certain bits and jokes in this movie that I just, felt like a spoof and I just felt like I felt like I was watching like a while scary movie version of it at while one we're time. in spoilers though I do want to talk a little bit about like where it leaves us and and, and oh, what's next yeah. and that kind of thing but Sean I did want to ask get leading up to that eternity the concept of eternity to my knowledge this is kind of the first time we're being confronted with eternity maybe it's been discussed before like it's come up in conversation in the MCU but can you talk a little bit about what eternity is is that going to keep moving it's, forward it, it is a relatively new concept from what I even understand, because I don't know okay. it a whole heck of a lot from the from the books at all. But I think it's something that was created for this movie specifically uh, to give oh, really? more something to go after. Um, and I loved the visualization of them when they went into it. Uh, it had sort of that almost like when you went into the soul stone, you know, that sort of or even when uh, Captain Marvel met the uh, high intelligence. Um, I don't think she's called the high intelligence. Whoever Annette Benning played in Captain Marvel. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But, to me, all I really saw it as was a continuation of like, there are so many things in phase four that are that are uh, dwelling on the afterlife. Um, Moon Knight did it tremendously. Yeah. Uh, in oh, its and episode uh, five. Miss, Miss Marvel has has sort of uh, the ancestral plane things going yes. on in, in her storyline. Absolutely. Yes. And and of course, Black Panther in, in Wakanda having the ancestral plane as well, too. So it's and then, of course, when you put Jane in Valhalla uh, yeah. alongside Heimdall at the end of this. There's a number of properties in the MCU in phase four that are finding themselves really interested with the concept <laughs> of the afterlife. Is this going to, is this going to be like, a uh, uh, like ruin, it ruins the, um, 
permadeath in the MCU. It's like, well, they're just going to have a story that's set in the <laughs> like. I'm curious how, how far they're going to take it. I'm fine this with is it. When I, this is what I wanted to ask. Like, I wanted to ask if you guys believed that Natalie Portman got a send off. Like if, if she got a proper thanks for everything, you're going to Valhalla. Or mm-hmm. did they put her in Valhalla so that later on Thor can be like, I'm just going to storm Valhalla and return Jane Foster. I would. What I think would. I think what, what, what I latter, think would be the, the ultimate the plan. What I think would be the ultimate plan is however long Thor is in the MCU and whatever happens. I think I think the end of Thor's journey is him dying and going to Valhalla. And gets well and him getting reunited with all these people that he's lost. Like That'd like his nice. whole storyline now is that he's lost his mother and his father and his loved ones and Heimdall and his brother and all this. Like, and that's the crux of, of this, you know, of like the opening of this of him, you know, just trying to find himself. Um, I think that's what they would build towards. And that's why they're putting her there. I think that's why we know. But maybe she okay. shows up again. That'd be beautiful. Um, we got to talk about Roy Kent. Uh, being yeah, Hercules. Hercules. Come on. That's amazing. I think him interacting I was with Hemsworth so surprised. is going to be tremendous. He's going to look so buff in the next uh, season of uh, 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 <laughs> Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. He's going to look yeah. so ripped. So th- this so wait, is, uh, does, does Hercules have a lasso? No. Uh, That'd have been funny. So. He has a gaunt. Uh, wait, th- what, what is his he weapon? Has, that he's he has holding? like a hammer or something. Yeah. yeah his, okay. his whole thing is he's like brute strength, right? That'd have been funny. But though. All, all I want to see is Brett Goldstein against Chris Hemsworth. That's all I want. I think Brett Goldstein I, is. I want to see Brett Goldstein deliver hilarious. lines as Hercules. Is what I want. Oh my I god! I want to see. Oh, we didn't even talk about this in spoiler-free or spoilers, but uh, uh, Zeus was awesome. I thought I thought Zeus was hysterical. Oh, I didn't. This was part of my criticism. I I didn't love the whatever the what was that called the Palace of the Gods or whatever where they went. Okay. To For me, it just it, to, it was another it was another part of. I didn't talk about this in the spoiler-free because it was kind of spoilery. To me, it felt like it was it was supposed to be the sequelized version of Sakaar. Like it was supposed to be like, let's introduce them to a new world, but it wasn't as fun to explore. And it and it, it didn't really feel that fleshed out. They just kind of walked okay. by some people. Maybe there's more there that I don't know because I don't know all the, you know, characters I'll from see. the comics. But it just okay. it just felt like it could have been a lot cooler. I like what happened there and there's good bits, but like the setting itself felt kind of and maybe we'll come back to it, given that the way that this ends. But it felt kind There's of no um, stakes, hollow. Though. Felt kind of hollow. Zeus dies okay. and then he's not dead. I'm like, come on, well, kill, just kill someone off for real. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just, I know, but it's well. I know what you're saying. I did know. they really kill Portman? No. Well, Gore, Gore Gore's dead. Gone. I know, Gore's but Gore's not too. like. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess it's fine. But, but Than- Thanos yeah. is dead. I mean, I get that, but it's like, I don't know. I kind of like when Thor or when Zeus popped up again. I'm like. All right. It's like, I, I, dude, does any of this mean anything? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all like, in on more. I mean, to me, that makes sense. He's Zeus. Like, it would be weird that. Sure. Like, that's a pretty lame way for Zeus to die, even if he's like overweight, old, you know, supposed to be kind of uh, whatever Zeus like. Or Jesus, by the way. Oh, that's another thing. Sorry. That's another thing. Hmm. The the epitome, the the example of this movie does the sin of sequelizing Ragnarok and just doing the Hollywood sequel in Ragnarok, they mention an orgy once. In this movie, okay. they mention an orgy like five times. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's. It, so I, wait, I, is I, Russell Crowe the Jeff Goldblum of this sequel? Then exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but this is much smaller. Again, like I said, it's not a complete sin in that it 
it's not just that story told again. He's not lost on this planet or whatever. It's its own. Wait, I would but just it takes will... those elements and it just rehashes them because oh, we loved that and that's that was a bummer. To me. What's the moment in Ragnarok? I, I don't want to mess this up. Where like right when uh, right when um, Thor meets the Grand Master mm-hmm. and they're, and they're like and there's another guy there who's like being sentenced to death and yeah 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 what His is cousin. what does Goldblum say? He's like he says a line like like he's gonna forgive him and then he goes your life and then like blows oh, him away i can't what's yeah, the line he says, that he's, uh, oh, oh <laughs> he such says, a great uh, it's my favorite delivery that whole movie oh, what does he say you're right though that's great he says yeah i believe um, you i really uh, i really uh, hold on let me look this up you guys continue okay. um yeah, like, i'll set you free from life and then he <laughs> it's, so such a great, it's such a and great she says the, the when she says the the slaves have gotten out and he goes oh stop 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 you know i hate that word and then she goes the <laughs> The whatever word she said before that and he goes no 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 the s word and she goes the prisoners with jobs and he goes uh, it's better okay i like it <laughs> he's like uh, it's better i like it he's so good i, I love russell crowe but yeah he's no jeff goldblum god he's someone really tell good. us that line it's a it's it's one of my favorite deliveries like he's, he's like so he's very so, funny in that he's a lot of fun in that in that movie the melting stick and everything like <laughs> All right, let's move on to our blend game this week and continue to celebrate uh, one of the better parts of, of Love and Thunder, which is Mr. Christian Bale. And I'm going to start with Gabe, who doesn't get to play the blend game all that often. Gabe, where did you go for your favorite Christian Bale movie? Favorite Christian Bale? I went with performance. Remember our challenges performance. Um, yes, sir. This was very hard. This was very hard, and I don't like playing this game at all, but we play it every week uh, because I think that he has... He has proven that he's just effortlessly versatile and he can mm. play someone very menacing and terrifying. He can play someone who's a billionaire and a superhero at the same time. And he can feel he can feel like a aloof playboy while he's also this incredibly powerful, you know, um, being he can play. I, Ford v. Ferrari was one that I really considered just uh, because I thought he was so he disappears somehow Mm-hmm. And it's not even like one I of his agree. roles where it's this giant physical transformation, which to give him credit for, I know it's become like a Hollywood cliche thing, but he he's done it several times and he's it pays off in his performance. And and, and Ford v. Ferrari was not one of those, I would say, uh, but he just completely disappears. And he just that character was so interesting and I felt like he inhabited it so well. And I, I've considered that and I'm I, on a given day, it could be that. Um I want to rewatch the fighter because I, I I saw that one mentioned a lot and I would put that up there. Uh, the Batman, I think, is great and all. Uh, I think what I want to land on, which feels like a cliche and this will change tomorrow, uh, is American Psycho, because I okay. felt like the irony of American Psycho and the earnest sort of portrayal that it needs in order for it to work, in order to be sort of um, confusing and, and sort of make you not understand what's real and what's not. Um, I think it's incredibly directed. Uh, he 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 it, it, he gets a lot um, from sort of the way that they decided to make that movie. Um, but I think he's absolutely brilliant in it. And I do feel bad sometimes picking a role that's so early because he's done again, like I've named, he's done so much since then that I think he's only improved on. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, American Psycho is the one that I sort of point to as uh, as my favorite. Very cool, Kev. Yeah. Where'd you where'd you I, end up going? I also for? went with American Psycho. Oh, um, nice. There you go. I think it's his best performance and my favorite performance of his. Um, I think, you know, it's funny because like when I was in high school, I think you guys probably had a similar situation where like you 
you find out who Christian Bale is and you start going through like his filmography, like the machinist. Right. And like, you start learning about the weight loss and like, he was like, there was a legendary status to Bale before he became Batman. Um, just about like the, the lengths he would go for performing. And obviously I've, I've gotten to speak to him a few times over the years. And one of the, my favorite things I ever talked to him about was empire of the sun, just because of kind of like what Spielberg instilled in him and, and as a kid and kind of what he took because he still remembers that very well and kind of like the lessons he learned from Spielberg and what kind of, how old was he in that? 10, that was, 11. That was, that was 87 when that came out. I don't know. He was young. He was a kid. He was, I don't remember yeah. how old he was. Um, but American psycho to me is he just strikes this disturbingly entertaining tone. Like I yeah. love watching Patrick Bateman. Um, regardless if you believe he does commit the murders or not, because the ending is ambiguous, um, or if it was all in his head or not. Right. Um, I find every one of those scenes to be highly entertaining. And a lot of it has to do with the way he describes music. Um, there's a sequence in the beginning where he kills Jared Leto's character, um, or towards the beginning when he's playing, I think it's the studio by, is it, uh, Phil Collins, right? And mm, I, Phil Collins, yeah. That was one of those films that I learned. I, those songs became, favorites of mine because of American Psycho. And I actually remembered the way like the 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 factoids that he would give about like this album charted at this uh, number or like this single was this. And then Jared Leto's like, is that an axe? He goes, why? Yes, Paul, it is. And, like, and just the, the, there's a delivery there that is so evil yet comedic in a very weird way that I don't know how he finds it. I know the writing is there, but, you know, also his American accent is, is, is absurd. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously his accents are incredible. I think we don't talk enough about accents. I mean, his accent in that is absurdly great. Um, I don't think I knew he was Welsh until I saw, is he Welsh? I think he's Welsh. Um, until, until years later. Um, but it's crazy that, when you hear him talk in interviews, you know, I've been wild. listening to him on so many Thor interviews and I'm always like, wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he is, a uh, the definition of a chameleon, but that performance is so vulnerable yet confident yet, but also not confident in a it's disorienting really, yeah, right, the way he does it. Very weird how he plays that role, but it's perfect. Like even in a scene where he's like looking in the mirror, checking out his muscles and he's like having sex. And then like, he's talking about Huey Lewis in the news or whatever. And it's like, what a just, a, it, 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 I hate this term was the tour, tour de force. People use yeah. that terminology and yeah, yeah, yeah when reviewing movies, but man, what a performance like that floored me. And to this day, it's the best thing. I, my favorite thing he's ever done. Um, and like, and if you he read has, the book, if you read the book, you think worse. to yourself, there's no way that someone could pr- perform this. Like there's no way that someone could personify this character. Right. And, and he figures out how to do it. I read, uh, I think I, I, I think I have this right. I interviewed Brady Stanellis who wrote the, wrote the book American mm-hmm. psycho. Um, and I want to say, and I think this is right. Every murder in that book is based on a real murder that happened. Oh, wow. um, I believe that he like went through and researched and like the, the murders that are taking place in the book, at least. I don't know if this applies to the film, but the murders that take place in the book are way worse. Oh, they're um, awful. There's one in there. I'm not even going to go into. I'll just say it deals with rats. Yep. Um, that That's I the, think exactly is exactly the one I'm thinking of right now. That is one of the most disgusting and disturbing 
pieces. I'm so happy that's not in the movie because it's so <laughs> no. horrifying. I don't even do know it. how they would they couldn't, do they couldn't that. Do it. No, they well, I guess do you it. could do it. You just you would just what you would do is you would pan up to the face after yes. explaining what the rats are doing, sure. um, which is disgusting. But anyways, back to uh, his performance in that movie. It's so damn amazing. The business. I'll never look at business cards the same ever again because of that film. Um, it is just he is in complete control of that performance and it's incredible to watch. It's it's like almost like a treat to watch that yeah. performance. And it's such a disturbing movie, but it depends on how you view it. Do you think he did it? Do you think he, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you guys think he did it or didn't do it? Where are you guys lying that? I'd have to go back and rewatch I'd it have to, to see how it all it. plays out. I think it's in I, his I, mind. I'm pretty sure he did it. I feel like the last time I saw it, I think I remember feeling like he like he did it. But I, yeah. I think I go back and forth on rewatches like it's. it's the scene when he kills the homeless guy really always disturbed me. And that was the sure. moment where I, like, I didn't like the character anymore. And it's, it's interesting because it's it's so weird to say you like a character who's murdering people. But well, the, but but when you're I mean, watching the film, it's, it's a character. But he plays it with such a. A vibrance. Right, you're right and, and, and that it makes it entertaining it's the same reason why like you watch like watching thanos or if a performer brings a certain uh level to it but the homeless person sequence later on in the film in american psycho was the moment where like he stepped over this edge where i didn't find him enjoyable to watch as a character anymore mm-hmm. and then that and then they and then they and then they go to this question about whether or not it's all real and i just choose to believe that it was all in his head yeah. Like that is like because like I feel like the guy that committed these murders, that character sure. seemed so eccentric and so over the top that I feel like he was playing a game or, or imagining like daydreaming. Yeah. But even the beginning, think about the beginning. Where he's just messing with his face, his routine in the morning. Yeah. All those things are so the director talks about driven. that. The, the skincare routine sort of alluding to his um, his sort of psychosis. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. All right. Um. I think there are a lot of instances with Christian Bale where you can say that he's doing the most acting and, and quite often it's <laughs> incredibly entertaining. If it's something like Vice, you know, where he completely disappears into Dick Cheney or even the machinist and, and where he lost all that weight. And then when you figure out why he lost all that weight in the machinist, it's an it's an insane uh, bit. But if I'm actually going with favorite performance, I have to go with uh, Batman Begins. I have to go with the way that he portrayed Bruce Wayne. Um, and uh, it's not just the way that he portrayed Bruce Wayne, but it's the way that he played a man who I was convinced um, could figure out how to train to become this classic superhero. Like there's so many Batman movies that just begin with him being Batman already and right. to start in the prison and to, to show this, uh, you know, son of a billionaire uh, punishing himself by fighting these guys who essentially just get training at doing it. Uh, to go through all the stuff that he goes through with uh, Raz Agul or Ra's Agul, however you want to pronounce it, how good Liam Neeson was in it. Um, and then his return to Batman and figuring out like I've, the scenes in Batman Begins that I love the most. In most superhero films, if I'm rewatching them, I like to skip to the action scenes where I get to see the the hero uh, do stuff in the film. And in Batman Begins, I like to see Bruce Wayne putting it all together. I love his scenes with Lucius Fox, um, where he's figuring out what the Tumblr can do where he's describing the type of things that he wants uh, the costume to do. I love Christian Bale's scenes with uh, Alfred Kane, uh, with Alfred, uh, Michael Kane playing Alfred. Um, yeah. I love his scenes with uh, Katie Holmes. Bruce to me is more interesting 
in Batman Begins yeah. because of the way the Christian Bale plays him. And I think it's a really difficult uh, thing to pull off because, you know, quite often, and it's in the best case scenarios where, you know, Christopher Reeves makes Clark Kent just as interesting as Superman um, or uh, Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield will make Peter Parker just as interesting as Spider-Man. And I think that's what Christian Bale does in the Batman. And um, when he's Batman, it's not like I'm disappointed, but I just think he's so cool and he's so suave and sophisticated as Bruce Wayne. Um, that I love him in that. So it might not be his greatest performance of all time, but it's that's absolutely my favorite. To see him be uh, that character. And you're um, right that Batman Begins is so good and is such a perfect introduction to both Bruce Wayne and Batman that it's going to be a couple decades before probably anyone tries to do the oh, Batman yeah. order story. Like Zack Snyder was like, what if I'll just do it in the open credit scene? People will know what it is. They've seen Batman Begins. And then uh, uh, Matt Reeves was like, what if it's just year two? What if we're, just, we're already there? <laughs> and it was great. And it was per- perfect. Yeah, that's a great call. That yeah. was a great call. Yeah, that's how good yeah, Batman Begins is. We we don't need we don't need these new Batman to be uh, introduced. We just nor do we have to see in. the the death of the parents. I think we've, we've gone over that one multiple yeah. times. Yeah, you think his you think his parents are dead? All right, audience picks. Uh, Dino uh, Paulo. Before we go to audience picks, we go oh yeah, sorry. Picks. Oh, we're throwing Jake, Jake. Jake Hamilton on vacation. Jake Hamilton has a pick, so Jake went with. Hey, what's up, guys? Jake here, coming at you. From vacation, a um, little sunburnt, a little bit more rested. Sorry I couldn't be with you guys this week, uh, but I did not want to miss out on Christian Bale blend, if only because uh, this one's a little bit more complicated than they normally are because my favorite movie that Christian Bale has been in is undoubtedly The Dark Knight. But the reason I'm not going to pick The Dark Knight is because that movie is great for a variety of reasons. Christian Bale being one of them, but he's one of a thousand reasons why that movie is great. And I really wanted to pick a performance in a film that is so predominantly great because of him. And because of that, I'm going to choose uh, another collaboration he did with a friend of this show, Chris Nolan. And I'm going to pick The Prestige because there are so many layers to that performance and why it has to work on different sort of viewing circumstances. He has to perform the the role roles in one way upon the first viewing, but then also it's got to be a completely different kind of performance the second and third time we watch it once we realize what the twist actually is. I feel like it's one of the more underappreciated films of his career, one of the more underappreciated films of Nolan's career, and there are just so many things to it that every time I watch it, I still feel like I'm discovering things within his sort of nuanced performance that is a lot more difficult than the more um, showy physical performances, maybe like The Machinist or The Fighter or Vice. Uh, There's just so much built into the prestige. But because he just looks like Christian Bale in it, I feel like we're not giving him enough credit. Uh, So I'm going to choose the prestige because such a huge portion of why that movie works and why it's as great as it is, is because of how he sort of uh, takes that role and, and embeds in it multiple layers that we don't even know until we know. So while it's not my favorite movie that he's been in, it's my favorite movie that he's had the greatest impact on. So hope you guys had a great show. I'll join you back next week. I know we got a lot of great stuff coming on Real Blend in the coming weeks, but uh, miss you guys, love you guys, and uh, see you soon. 
All right, now let's get to audience picks. So Dino Apollo said Out of the Furnace. Uh, Altuff Nanawadi. That's a great movie. Out of the Furnace is really terrific. Scott Cooper, right? Yes. Um, oh. Altaf, Nanawadi, Anastasia, Zen, Jake, and many, many others went with The Fighter. Uh, Ariel Pace said American Hustle. And uh, Michael Kamen's went with The Prestige. The reason why I didn't go with The Prestige is just because I think that's more of a Hugh Jackman movie. Is that a Hugh Jackman's sure. movie or is it Christian Bale's movie? Which movie? The Prestige. The Prestige. Um, I think it's more Jackman's movie. I think of Jackman more, but. Yeah, it's tough, no, They're right? both great, though, in it, you know, they are for sure. And I can't no. tell you I can't tell you why he's so good in the prestige, just in case you haven't seen the prestige yet uh, and happen to be listening to the show. OK, so much participation this week. We want to thank everybody for playing along with Christian Bell Blend. And next week, uh, reach out to us on Twitter using hashtag book to movie blend. Uh, I would assume this is in in lieu of where the crawdads sing, which is an adaptation of a popular book that's going to be coming to movie theaters. So tell us your very favorite a book to movie adaptation use hashtag book to movie blend uh, oh, or let us this. know your pick via email at realblend at cinemablend.com kev not to divert from the formula but guess what just landed in my inbox Uh oh a preview link for the trailer for clerks three okay oh, and i'm no i'm going to tell you something that's even crazier than that once we get off mic Okay. (laughs) Because you, I think Sean and I. Kevin has the script for Clerks 4. I think Sean and I are weirdly spiritually connected. And I'll tell you, I'll explain this on the, on the out. I I don't doubt that actually for a number of stories that we've had, but it literally just landed in my inbox. And I thought, Ooh, I want, I want Kevin to know that. All right. uh, Leave us a review. If you guys enjoy the show, leave us a review on uh, Apple iTunes. You can email us a review at realblend at cinemablend.com, and that's where we will uh, read it here on the show. Our next premium episode, we're going to play a game called What Year Was It? So again, check the description below to find out how you can sign up for the premium service, which will also get you, as I mentioned, a a newsletter every other week, uh, an ad-free version of the show, and then the Monday show that drops. So in the meantime, uh, listeners can follow us at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We will talk to you guys next week. Uh, the Fablemans. Hockey pads. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.